0: Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the Airwaves to continue our series on Mission Focus, What Does It Mean To You? Joining us are John Peterson and Matt Southard, engineers with the Airborne Weapons Support Equipment Branch at Naval Air Warfare Center, Aircraft Division, Lakehurst. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us your team quickly developed and delivered a piece of support equipment to increase the capability of the F-35B. So before we discuss the Guided Bomb Unit 49 support equipment effort, let's talk about your team. Tell me about the Armament Weapons Support Equipment Team and what you provide the fleet.
1: Well, thanks for having us, first of all. Our branch is part of the Support Equipment Engineering Division here at Lakehurst. The Armament Weapons Support Equipment team provides full-spectrum support, cradle-to-grave for any weapons handling systems that require transporting and loading in and around the aircraft as well as weapon control test sets. Our branch also provides in-service engineering support in the field to make sure the warfighter has what they need and, and equipment is working properly. We also ensure that we develop equipment for new weapon systems in a timely manner so it's aligned with the introduction of a new weapon system in the field.
0: So John, tell me about your role on the team.
1: For this particular project, I'm the project team lead for the GBU-49 support equipment effort. I'm also the mechanical design
2: lead for the group.
0: Matt, what about you?
2: For this particular project, I'm the principal engineer for the ADU-894A-E, which is the designation for the adapter that we developed for this.
0: When you hear the phrase mission focus, what does it mean to you, Matt?
2: To me, in a very broad sense, it just means providing a product for the fleet. So taking out all the processes and what ifs, or this is how we always do things, and just asking myself straightforward, how do I get what is needed out to the fleet in the most safe and timely manner possible?
0: And John, what about you? Same question.
2: Yeah, just to add
1: to what Matt said, uh, yeah, I think it's taking a look internally, how you can streamline the process, anything that doesn't add value to the end product, try to minimize or reduce that.
0: Speaking of that end product, tell us about the GBU-49 project, what you did and how you responded urgently to a fleet need.
1: So the GBU-49 project first came to us from PMA-201, Precision Strike Weapons. They contacted our group here at Lakehurst, as well as our support equipment test and evaluation group down in Patuxent River, Maryland, and they notified us that the Marine Corps was going to be flying the GBU-49 weapon very soon uh, on board the F-35B. This was originally an Air Force weapon, so we had nothing in our nav air inventory in order to load this weapon onto the aircraft. we needed to develop a solution right away. The GBU 49 was in production, so it was gonna be deployed in under nine months. So we had to act quickly.
0: So obviously a very fast turn project. Now, what would you say were some of the key factors that led to your success on this project?
2: First and foremost, the communication and collaboration between the team. As John mentioned, we relied on our test counterparts down at Patuxent River, Maryland, who did an initial analysis of our legacy gear and kind of dictated what the shortfalls of that was going to be. Then it came up to here at Lakehurst where we did some virtual modeling on our computers to figure out what we might need to do to modify that. We had known that we wanted to use the existing adapter and modify that because we had a surplus in inventory here at Lakehurst and that would greatly reduce the manufacturing time needed. So John came over to my desk and Asked that I work on the project and gave me some parameters to work around. Then we worked with the prototype and manufacturing division here on base to get a prototype out back to our test guys with the new geometry very quickly. They validated that it was all right on their test stands down there and then we moved forward with production.
0: So I can imagine when reaching out and tapping into resources across the organization, communication is incredibly important. So John, talk to me about the power of relationships, the value of collaborating with the fleet, as well as our internal workforce.
1: Well, of course, relationships and communication are an important part of the NAVAIR organization and being able to work quickly to respond to these urgent needs. We have a lot of seasoned technical experts in this field with a lot of experience, both on the program office side as well as the support equipment side. And having that, that bond and that history together Uh, Everyone feels very comfortable moving fast when you you have that that background and that experience with with the uh, program office or the product support team.
2: Being one of the newer guys on the team, I just started about two years ago with the Armament Weapon Group. There's definitely a sense of community amongst everyone here. A majority or a large portion of our team has either had some fleet experience either directly or have been working a majority of their career with them. So it's been a pleasure getting to learn from everybody involved on the teams here and talking with everyone to get their take, which ended up allowing us to field a piece of equipment that was familiar to the fleet and well received.
0: John, you mentioned being able to reach out to individuals from other labs. Tell me about the importance of that co-location here at Lakehurst.
1: Absolutely. Most of the engineering, the manufacturing, and even the logistics personnel are positioned here at Lakehurst. We did have other team members at other sites, but the bulk of the team was here at Lakehurst. And without any contract actions, we were able to quickly design and prototype these parts to get them tested, as, as Matt explained, uh, to conduct initial fit checks and go through the process, the development process. Having the hangar within walking distance, the manufacturing hangar that is, we could walk over and and sit with the artisan and look at the part directly and come up with a solution right then and there.
0: And certainly lots of value to that. So we've talked a lot about the success of the project, but tell me about the barriers, the hurdles that you had to overcome to complete the project.
1: Well, we had the in-house capability available. We had the support of leadership to put all our resources into this effort So the biggest barrier, obviously, was schedule. How are we going to field this new support equipment in only nine months? So as Matt explained earlier, we were able to leverage an existing design and focus our efforts to be able to modify that design and field it using that surplus legacy support equipment. We think designing from scratch with no knowledge of that existing equipment just wouldn't have been feasible to uh, answer the mail on this quick turnaround project.
0: So getting back to the project, what kind of feedback did you get from the fleet customer, and how did that make you feel? John?
1: Well, the feedback we got from the fleet customer was that it was a big success. The equipment arrived on time aboard ship, and it worked as intended. We did get some initial photos back of some of the very first photos of the guided bomb being loaded onto the F-35B. Uh, so it's always exciting getting those photos, photos back in. You really see your hard work pay off uh, and see the equipment in action. Uh, so that was a great sense of pride for the team.
2: I think in addition to, to what John said, I was able to witness the loading validation and verification. So seeing The GBU-49 actually loaded onto an F-35 in a controlled situation to validate that the procedures were correct. For me, it not only showed what our piece of equipment was able to do, but that's also an experience that for future armament weapon projects I'll be able to take and and have a little bit of a better understanding when I go sit behind the computer and start the design process.
0: So that must have been really exciting for you. Yeah. So do you think it kind of changes the way you do your job now?
2: Absolutely. The ability to get out and actually talk with the end user can really drive what kind of decisions we make in the design process. And that goes whether we're out in the field um, speaking with Marines or sailors, or even if we're walking over to the shops uh, here at Lakehurst and talking to the artisans. There's a lot of things that can drive our designs that can either expedite schedule or end up making a product that's uh, more easily and readily used by the fleet.
0: If I asked you to list the three most important attributes of a successful team, what would they be and why? Matt, let's start with you.
2: I think the first thing would definitely be communication. There's a lot to learn from your peers, especially here at Lakehurst, where we have so many of those knowledgeable artisans and subject matter experts for this particular project. The adapter we were modifying was actually John's original design about a decade ago I believe, so being able to leverage his uh, lessons learned on that project helped me complete this modified adapter. Another thing that I would definitely point out is the ability to take action. Sometimes I had a former supervisor who used to use the term paralysis by analysis. Sometimes you can find yourself getting caught up in the processes and just the the trust and faith in our team members to say go after it and, and go get what you need to get done was definitely something that expedited the schedule. And the last part I would touch on is an understanding of the value of the work that we do. Being able to have a transparency, especially as someone as new to the NAVAIR workforce as I am, to be able to see where our product is going, how it's used, and the difference it makes is what makes you want to give the extra 10% and put 110% into a project.
0: I love the term paralysis by analysis. So John, Now your turn. Tell me about the three attributes of a successful team.
1: It's tough to follow that one. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think a successful team obviously needs a positive culture and attitude that, that starts up with leadership and flows its way down to the IPT. And I think that's really what motivates people to do good work.
0: What kind of advice would you give other teams for responding to an urgent fleet need?
2: For one, I would say leverage the resources at your disposal and don't be afraid to, to ask questions to the people around you. Especially here at Lakehurst, we have a lot of different programs at a lot of varying levels that are going on. And You never know who might have some insight of uh, a new technique or a new process or, or someone with uh, a piece of knowledge that you could leverage on your own program. So that would, that would be my recommendation.
0: John, same question. What advice would you give to other teams responding to an urgent fleet need?
2: I think my advice
1: would just be to stay flexible, try to establish a plan up front, a solid plan, but just know that it's gonna change and start thinking about those contingency plans early and often so you're prepared when they do come up because they will. And also just each step consider how can I go a little bit faster while still maintaining the integrity of the product and and the safety uh, to the end user.
0: Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today and talking about how relationships, collaborations, and and tapping into the resources across the organization can benefit our mission focus. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.